Hello and welcome to episode 154 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson and special guest on today's show from Santa Barbara, California, Anne Levine. How's it going, guys? Good. Yeah, it's great. And you just you just got off a of red eye? Yeah, yeah. No one's going to feel really sorry for me, though, because I was in Hawaii. But yes, I'll try to be alert and uh, to answer questions coherently. That's awesome. Well, you've been great on the show before. I'm sure everybody's happy to hear from you. You're going to answer a bunch of questions about law school admissions. We have a whole list of questions here. You haven't even seen the questions, so you're going to have to just uh, give us your honest gut reaction on all of them with no preparation. How do you feel about that? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Perfect. Uh, hey, this is the last chance to sign up for our class coming up in New York City, August 25 to 26. Uh, if you're hearing this in the week prior, you can go to thinkinglsat.com right now to sign up for that class if you want to join us. Um, we have, oh wait, where's this email I wanted to read? Well, we got an email from one of our students who took the last class in New York City, and uh, the subject line was DUDE, D-U-D-E-E-E-E-E-E, and it's all caps. I went from 159 in June to 164 on the July test, effing pumped. That was an email from one of our students from New York City last time. So um, if you would like a guaranteed five-point increase (laughs) on your LSAT, uh, please do not sign up for our class because we cannot guarantee anything like that. But um, sometimes (laughs) people do take big leaps uh, at the last minute. So if you want to come join us, we'll have a good time for sure. That that part we can definitely guarantee. Yeah, we're happy to read emails that say such things and um, let you draw your own conclusions. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, Let's see. So what do you think, Ben? Should we just dive right into these questions for Anne and get to our normal stuff later? Okay. Sure. That sounds good. Okay, cool. Uh, Go ahead, Ben. You made the list. Why don't you be the interrogator? (laughs) Yeah, so this this list is not in any... I'm starting to get nervous, guys. Go ahead. (laughs) No, no, no. Your wisdom will be greatly appreciated. Okay. Um, so these are just things that have come to my mind in the last few weeks. Uh, as you know, LSAC has announced that they're going to have 10 tests coming in 2020, I think, right? And there's six tests already scheduled in 2019. Um, and not too long ago, they removed the cap, uh, used to be only, only take three tests in, I think, two years. Two-year period. Okay, I'm, this, all all these rules are now fading from my memory. But in any case, people can take as many tests as they want now, and the tests are being often offered more frequently. So, a question that I get a lot is, how bad is it to keep retaking the test? And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on someone who's taken the test twice versus four times. And I think, as crazy as it may sound, we're seeing people who are looking at taking it a fifth and maybe even a sixth time. So um, just your advice to those people who are retaking it multiple times. Generally, do whatever you have to do to get your best score. If you have practice exam scores that are not reflected on your practice te- on your actual exams, or if you feel that you haven't maxed out your potential on your practice exams and therefore haven't maxed out your potential on the real thing, then I don't see any harm in continuing. I think nine, ten times is totally ridiculous. I think, um, but I'm not freaking out as much over five times anymore, especially because sometimes people are counting cancellations as part of that, and I wouldn't count a cancellation as a time taken the LSAT. Okay. Uh, when people have taken it five times, or maybe they've taken it three times and they have a couple cancellations, 
do they need to write an addendum just explaining why they did that? Or is, is that something that law schools are expecting? The answer to everything is it depends. I mean, if their scores are within three, four points of each other, it's probably not worth explaining unless we're trying to say why you kept retaking it because you have a history of underperforming on standardized tests or something like that. But the simple... I took it three times. Let me tell you why. I don't think is necessary. I think it's clutter in most cases. Um, and I almost never have someone explain cancellations. I just, I don't see the point, honestly. I mean, the schools care about your highest score. If there's a weird discrepancy in scores, if your last score was lower, something like that, then th- there's a reason for an all set addendum. But I think we've gotten to this culture where everyone thinks they need addenda to explain things in their application. As it becomes more popular to take the LSAT multiple times, the impact of an addendum explaining that lessens, I think. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Nathan, did you have anything you wanted to ask or add? Um, no. And, well, do, do literally Harvard, Stanford, Yale only care about the highest score? I think they do. I mean, I have clients who have wide discrepancies in their scores who get admitted to those schools. I mean, they'll look at the trend. They're not stupid. You know, they're going to see what was going on. But someone who goes from a 168 to a 173, they're not going to negate that 173. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Um, I actually want to skip ahead to another question that I get a lot uh, because it kind of relates to what we're talking right now, talking about right now. And that is, how bad is it to drop on your last official test? So let's say uh, someone gets a 168 and they say, hey, look, I was scoring between 166 and 170. I hit right in the middle of my score range and I want to take it again, but I'm worried about dropping. My typical advice is, look, go ahead and take it because the upside is – immense. If your score goes up, they're going to take that highest score. So that's really good. If your score goes down and they're still going to take the highest one you have on record. So it's not really that big of a deal. But in the back of my mind, I'm still like, yeah, it does seem a little strange if your score drops or goes down near the end, it's kind of has a downward trend. How, how much of an impact do you think that actually has on someone reviewing the application or is it just purely the highest score and that's all that matters? No, I agree with you. I don't like to see a weird drop, but A one or two point drop just shows me that that's kind of the right score range for the person. So if they have a a 168 and a 166, that tells me that's about right for the person. If they have Mm -hmm. a 168 and a 163, something went horrifically wrong and that should be explained. Um, But, you know, a couple points, there's just not that much difference. You know, that's the difference of did you have a good day, you know, good breakfast, did you sleep well? You know, it's not it's not really a meaningful difference. So I agree with you. There's not a lot of Hartman retaking a test if someone's practice exam scores are a few points higher than where they've actually scored. But, you know, I always think that people score a couple points lower on test day, almost as a rule. Just the, the new environment, stress, or just new question types or weirdness generally. So, Um, I would want more than a point or two out of it for it to be worthwhile for someone to do that. For someone to retake. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. When they have a score that's so close to their practice, like in the middle of their last five practice exam scores, you know, it's right in there already. So, um, yeah, I think, but I also think there's a mental aspect that if the person will always wonder what if, then they should go ahead and give it a shot. But, but I want to caveat that with one other thing. That's if we're talking early in the admission cycle. If we're talking waiting until January for a two-point increase, I'd say no. 
Hmm. Okay. Um, Nathan? No, that's good. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, it's good to hear. So an- another question I have has to do with um, gunners. So... <laughs> This is a this is a phrase that I heard. You mean like in a law school classroom, gunners? No, I'm talking about people who are um, ambitious and uh, trying to go for the best school that they can get into. Wait, why wait, are they gunners? Wait. That's so derogative, Tori. Like, why do we label people like that? Why is being ambitious a bad thing? Well, I I don't think so. Here, so let me tell you what happened to uh, to me about three weeks ago. I was talking to some student asked to come in and meet with me. And I said, okay, great. Yeah, come on in. He said, I have some questions. He was a former student who'd taken the test and studied with me and done quite well. Um, and was, I think he had scored like 170, 172, something like that. And he was contemplating taking the test again. And he had talked to um, a consultant at uh, another admissions um, consultancy. And the consultant had told him not to retake it because even though it looked like he might have a chance at doing better because his practice scores were in the mid 170s um it would make him look like a gunner i respectfully disagree it's ridiculous it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous so- oh don't reach your potential it looks bad to reach your potential <laughs> what kind of crap is that but when, when someone uses the phrase gunner to me, I think of the person in law school who's always raising their hand instead of waiting to get called on. That's what I think of as a gunner. So you threw me with that. But that's ridiculous. I mean, come on. Law schools don't want people to try hard to be their best. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah I'm so glad to hear you say that, Anne, because that was that – was, uh our reaction as well. But the thing that was weird about this interaction was I had that conversation with that student and then the same day or the next day at class at night, someone said, yeah, I just talked to a consultant at the same agency and um, they use the same phrase again, gunner. They're like, oh, don't take it again. You're going to look like a gunner. I was like, what is going on? And then it happened a third time. So um, in any case, I don't this, know what to this- say. It, look, if, if advice doesn't make sense for you, don't take it generally, yeah. whether I give it or someone else gives it or you guys give it. I mean, to the listeners, if advice doesn't make sense to you, don't take it. Use your own common sense. You are your own best guide through this process. It's your life, your decisions. If you find a consultant who gels with that, who understands your vision, who can guide it, who can supplement it, who can take it to the next level, awesome. But if something doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, I mean, that's good. We're just affirming that it's okay to try hard and be persistent. Um, all right, great. So uh, another question that I had was how – well, actually, let me skip this for a second. The GRE to me seems I to knew, be – I, was, I of, thought it would be number question number one. You waited for question number three. Okay, let's talk GRE. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep this in some sort of order because I didn't order it when I initially put it down. But the GRE to me was this kind of big idea when it started and now it seems to just have lost momentum do you feel like it's ever going to become a real option or so is that just something you and i that's... have been talking about this for a while where you are all excited about jerry or not I'm excited for it excited <laughs> yeah, about it here's my thing yes it makes head schools get to have their names and headlines and more schools are saying they take the jerry my thing is still so what so yeah. what they take the jerry 
they're not releasing how many people they're taking with GRE. How many people of those have also taken the LSAT and they're relying on the LSAT score? What their mm-hmm. scores are of the people they're taking. They're releasing none of this. And I will give a shout out to Meg Spivey, who um, put a great little blog post together interviewing five or so random admission deans, not so random, that are taking the GRE and how they're looking at it. And it all affirms exactly what I'm saying. They, there's no proof that the GRE is the way into law school. None. Just because schools are accepting it doesn't mean it's the way in. Yeah. Okay. Um, my last question is, how can people generate ideas for their personal statement? It seems like the most common question I get. So I love that question. I'm glad it's the most common one you get. Um, okay, so I'll repeat some ideas from my book, and then I'll make some up off the fly. How about that? Yeah. Okay, so from the book, I um, if I find that people get really stuck in a quagmire of their weaknesses and some people are so focused on overcompensating for whatever it is they perceive as their great weakness in their application that they write these personal statements almost apologizing for that weakness and like overcompensating for it um, in other ways. And I, this is not um, necessary, but I think it can be a useful tool for an initial brainstorming is just to get all that junk out there on quote unquote paper, all the stuff you're most worried about right? And put it aside and maybe bury it. Be like, okay, I addressed that. And then think about what you think the real weakness is that you're trying to make up for. And then brainstorm some things that kind of show the opposite. In my book, I kind of talk about if you're worried that your resume is going to show lack of focus on law, then how are you going to show you focus on the various things you're interested in, even if they're not necessarily law? Like think of something that's kind of opposite of what you're most worried about. Um, That's still authentic. I mean, I'm not trying to say make something up. I'm, I'm just trying to say th- those those can be fun ways to generate some ideas. Um, another thing is to ask people around you what they think is kind of cool about you. I also have some brainstorming questions in the book that I use with um, my clients often, and they tend to generate really fun and interesting topics like, um, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? What's something that would surprise me to learn about you? Um, you know, just things that wouldn't necessarily come up with your best friend in conversation, you know, um, mm-hmm. but, but might be really insightful about your character. Um, so I would say when generating things, I would say, don't do it in one shot. Um, don't just sit down one day, say, okay, I'm brainstorming, writing my personal statement. I think it's more productive just because we have natural mood swings as people to do this over an extended period of time, like every other day, different times of the day, different environments. Um, and we say like, and I still mean this, that every day at any given time of the day, I could probably sit down and write a totally different personal statement on a different topic for myself. And mm-hmm. it's not because I'm schizophrenic. I'm not. It's it's because one moment I might be really into teaching yoga and one minute I'm really excited about something going on with work or a problem I solved or another minute, um, you know, managing chaos of family. We just put our house on the market this week, totally spontaneously and sold it within 24 hours. So now moving. So I can write a personal statement about pretty much any of that and what it shows about me. And so I encourage people when they're brainstorming topics to, to take the time over an extended period of time and really think about everything that, that they could possibly write about keeping the focus on themselves rather than other people, I think is the key. Yeah. I think one core idea that you're expressing there is that the personal statement is not going to be this one perfect thing because we have so many aspects of our lives that we could write about 
I mean, if you're saying that on any different day you could write about a different thing or whatever's interesting you the most right now, um, there's not like one answer that's going to be perfect. I, I think sometimes people are shooting for the perfect personal statement, which Absolutely. makes it very it, difficult. It's it's a it's it's a, a bogus um, ideal. People call me all the time for the the free initial consultations that I offer, and they'll ask me, well, here's my personal statement idea, and I'll just stop. I can't do it. It's not because I want to charge you money to do it necessarily. It's just because I don't know you well enough. I don't know what we need to emphasize about you. I don't know what all of the potential stories out there are yet. So I'm not going to give you a thumbs up or thumbs down on an idea you just toss at me in two sentences. Um, And then they'll say, well, wait, here's how I would develop it, and here's how my introduction would be, and Honestly, it's meaningless. I mean, that might be a great essay, but there might be a better one out there. And so I would say this is one of the reasons that I think for people taking the September LSAT who try to cram it all into the two weeks while they're waiting for their score, it used to be three, and now it's going to be like closer to two. Um, like they're not going to get their best personal statement out of that. It really requires more time and thought. Yeah. Maybe just while you're living life and you have it in the back of your head, you occasionally think of things and you just jot them down for when you actually have time to write it. We have these cool notes apps in our phone and, you know, just throw stuff down wherever you are, you know, in the back of the Uber or whatever, and, and just start to collect ideas. Um, it's amazing how some of those seemingly um, unconnected ideas can be connected if they show something interesting about you or a way you attack something that's com- you know that can be shown in different examples or problems that interest you that can be shown in different examples. Like a theme might emerge from things that you you might not immediately see connections through. And I'll talk about this a lot when I come to visit you next week too, Ben, um, uh, that I think that this is something that people put so much pressure on themselves that they almost um, tie their own hands by the yeah. pressure when really this should be introspective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask or add? Um, no, I think that's good. Yeah. Well, Anne, I'm really looking forward to you coming out and talking to the class. Um, I think I think Matt told you that we had up to 75 people signed up. So I'm so I'm, excited. Okay. I only sent you yeah. 50 free books, but, um, <laughs> but I'm really excited to come and talk. It's been a few years since I came out in person. It'll be awesome to be there and not be over Skype with you guys. And I always have a good time uh, talking with everyone there. So I'll look forward to seeing you very soon. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Have a good one. Hey, if you want to learn more about Anne Levine, you just go to lawschoolexpert.com. She has a web form there and you can fill that out with your email address and she and or her team will get uh, get back to you. So again, that's Anne Levine, lawschoolexpert.com. Um, let me look at what else we got here on the agenda, Ben. We have something. We, we're on Instagram now. What? We um, are, yeah. We're getting tattoo recommendations on Instagram? No. <laughs> so I, I am toying with the idea of getting a tattoo. And so to do that, though, I need some good ideas. So if anyone is willing to send me a tattoo recommendation on Instagram, my Instagram is Innovator Ben. I will take a look. And if I can find the right one, I'm going to do it. Are you why why do you want to get a tattoo? I don't know. I just it's just time. Now it's just time. something to do. Yeah. Everything's Where changing. are you gonna get the tattoo? Uh, most likely on my back. Um yeah. Is it gonna be like a huge dragon no. like Ben no. Affleck that takes no. over your entire no, back I can't. and it's hideous? <laughs> Wait, Ben Affleck has a huge 
Oh yeah, you should Google it. He's got like the worst tattoo. It just like covers his whole back. At least that's what I saw. No. Maybe it could be no, fake. It no, could be I'm fake looking news. for something simple. And um, yeah, uh, clean. Let's just put it that way. So a symbol, probably. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's uh, Innovator Ben on Instagram. We are uh, the show is now on Instagram at Thinking LSAT. And uh, I'm on Instagram at Fox LSAT. I don't really use it very much. Maybe I should. Um, but uh, anyway, we are going to be sending out stuff via the Thinking LSAT Instagram. So we'd love if you uh, hit us up there. And you could send Ben tattoo recommendations <laughs> at Innovator Ben. We have all of 70 followers already on uh, Thinking LSAT on Instagram. So oh, that's okay. good. I'm, I'm sure yeah. that'll, that'll take off probably pretty well. Yeah since we got our team working on it. Um, you can email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. We would love to get your questions. That's how we build the agenda for the show. So help at thinkinglsat.com. And uh, you can put yourself into the queue. We have 763 members now on the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. This week, they were talking about the word plebeian. They were doing some vocabstrabating. Yeah, <laughs> they were surprised that we didn't know that word, that we were opposed to that word. Um, one person in the comments said that they like the word plebe, which I do like a lot better than plebeian. Um, but I just had this feeling that uh, we were going to start using the word plebeian all the time now as a joke. <sighs> Maybe. I I still find it a little bit annoying, to be honest. I, well, I that's don't... exactly why we'd use it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. Um, someone on the Facebook page, uh, again, that's Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook, uh, please join us. Someone was saying that they think it's a perfect word because there's no substitute. Hmm. And I just like immediately could think of like four different substitutes that I prefer. So I, I would propose... I mean, some people were chiming in with noob, which I kind of like, you know, as a modern uh, video game insult, you call someone a noob. Yeah. If mm-hmm. they're, if they're, but uh, what about basic? Basic. Basic. <laughs> basic has a lot of like sort of plebeian aspects to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but common. Common. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that is like the first synonym for it is common. And mm-hmm. common, everyone is going to understand that. And plebeian is just like, are you trying to advertise that you study liberal arts in college? Yeah. And that's, that's what I was thinking when I thought of that word, uh, which I'm stealing from you, of course, vocabstrabating. Um, no, I didn't even st- put that. Well, no, <laughs> I know, but you, you came up with statsturbating. I'm like, oh, this yes. Is like you made up vocabstrabating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I feel like, yeah, when people sit down and write and they use especially more than one word that you don't know at that point it's like are you vocabstrabating for the sake of showing off your vocabulary uh or are you trying to communicate because if you're trying to communicate then you want to use words that more than half of your audience is going to understand and when you're writing to these admission officers um i don't think more than half of them would know plebeian Uh, i'm not saying not to use words that fit well or whatnot. Uh, it's great to have a, a good vocabulary, but you have to really ask yourself, are you trying to communicate or are you trying to show off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. We are on Patreon. If you would like to join us there, we have 32 patrons on Patreon donating a, a total of $166 every month. Thank you very much for that. 
Our ratings and reviews on iTunes continue to climb. We have 312 ratings on iTunes and 83 reviews. We really appreciate people uh, chiming in there and helping us to spread the word. We would love it if you would hook us up with your pre-law society. You can email podcast at thinkinglsat.com with um, a connection to any pre-law advisor that you work with or your pre-law you know, fraternity, sorority, or... Um, any kind of a group that you're associated with for pre-law, if you email podcast at thinkinglsat.com, we can put them on our list to send them useful uh, stuff. Yeah, Cassidy is managing that email, and I know that she's already gotten uh, a few people reaching out to her, so that's exciting. Thank you. Yeah, that is super exciting. Thank you very much for, for sharing those connections. We, we are going to, um, well, Cassidy is going to help us. Uh, to um, you know, actually follow up with those people and try to make some connections for the long haul. You know, the thing is, if you don't do that, then the Kaplans of the world are going to get their dirty hooks into your pre-law society. And um, well, let's be honest, we we do a lot better job than they do. So <laughs> please, <laughs> I mean, really, this is just a no-brainer. Please connect us to uh, your pre-law society so that we can hook people up with like resources that actually make sense instead of a bunch of marketing garbage. Yeah. Um, we are on Twitter at Thinking LSAT. I'm on Twitter at InFox. Ben is at Olson Benjamin on Twitter. If that's your preferred social media platform, please find us there. You can see our websites, strategyprep.com and foxlsat.com to learn about our services, including live classes in DC, LA, San Francisco, all sorts of online and one-on-one options. Um, Ben, do you want to talk about the demon? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it. So we are... Uh, working together. We're super good at marketing because we're, we're pushing, we're, we're talking about this halfway through the show. That's yeah. the perfect place to put our <laughs> brand new product that we're excited about is to just bury it way down in the middle of an episode. That's right. It's for our, our true listeners, the ones who persist. Yeah, we only um, want you to sign up for this if you're a super fan. So please stop listening if you're not. Yeah, but we have been working together for a while actually on a joint project to find out more about this joint product, product or project or whatever, go to lsatdemon.com. Again, that's lsatdemon.com. This uh, AI tool that we're putting together has uh, both of our explanations, um, both written explanations, video explanations from both of us uh, for uh, an array of questions. When you get into the system right now, um, you can click on logical reasoning or reading comprehension or games and start doing practice problems on your phone anywhere. And the system tracks which questions you get right, which questions you get wrong, how long it takes you. And as it learns more about you, it serves up more and more questions that target your weaknesses so that you can spend your time focusing on that sort of thing. Uh, we're going to continue making it better. We've already gotten a lot of feedback, so thank you for those of you who have been using it. Um, and we're just developing it every day. So tomorrow we have another development meeting, and it just keeps getting better and better, and we're excited to now offer it to everyone. So, Yeah, the feedback that we've gotten so far from test users is uh, overwhelmingly positive. People have found it very useful for squeezing in five minutes or 10 minutes of studying. I mean, you could be sitting there on your phone and literally do, you know, three logical reasoning questions uh, from anywhere. 
So uh, it works on phone, works on tablet, works on PC, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Or Mac. Uh, so across a variety of platforms. And yeah, you go to uh, lsatdemon.com and you can go ahead and register and start using it immediately. Yeah. Exciting. I can't believe we finally got there. Boy, it's been, <laughs> we finally it's been were months. able to work together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been, well, it's been years on the podcast and now it's been uh, months of development for this, for this tool. But uh, really excited about it. think it's going to be super useful and uh, can't wait to hear what people think about it. We yeah. will be uh, collecting lots of feedback from users. So if you sign up and start using it, please let us know what you think of it. Uh, we, Like Ben says, we're doing pretty rapid iterations of the development. So we will be adding new features all the time and just making it better and better. Yep. Cool. Um, ready to... Move into these emails? Sure, let's do it. Cool. Uh, what's this first one? I don't know. I guess we're getting used to uh, someone else creating this agenda for us. <laughs> this is awesome. It's like a surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, what is this? Okay, cool. Yeah. So we have an email here from Crystal. Uh-huh. Okay, do you want me to read this? Or? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Is this real life? Ole Miss Law has orientation this Wednesday and classes start on Monday, August 20th. That is four days from now. That's the day that this show will launch. Okay. Yeah, okay. Are people really this desperate? Crystal. And okay, here's the email. Dear Crystal, whoa, this is an official email from a law school and it's in the first paragraph is in all caps. Oh my God. I've had several people ask me to submit an application for 2018, so I temporarily reopened it until the end of the day. Reopened it? What is that referring to? <laughs> that should say reopened applications. Reop- yeah. Re- reopened the application. <laughs> Why is it in all caps? This is coming from a fucking law school? Oh, my the God. The assistant director of admissions. Okay, we oh won't my read God. their name, but... Um, please let me know if you have any questions. You should have a fee waiver attached to your account as you go to check out. As you go, you should have a fee waiver attached to your account as you go to check out. (sighs) (laughs) That paragraph is in all caps. Whoa. (laughs) Please let me know if you have any questions. That right there is a sentence you don't need. And yet it's there and it's in all caps. Look at um, the rest of this mess. Okay. So now the caps have been removed. So apparently the rest is less important, but we do have bold. I want to ri- I wanted to write you and encourage you to apply to Ole Miss Law School. Hmm, no, no shit. That's You don't need to say that. <laughs> I mean, you already yelled at me with this opening paragraph about fee waiver and reopening applications and everything. I, I understand what you wanted I wanted to write you and encourage you to apply to Old Miss Law. Wow. Oh, dear God. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. Continuing in bold now. Knowing <laughs> that the cost of law school is, a paramount, is paramount to choosing a law school, it is important to note, colon, we have consistently been ranked in the top 20 in the nation for, quote, best value law schools by Pre-Law Magazine. Pre-Law Magazine? Never heard of it. And our first commitment is to prepare our students for the practice of law. (laughs) Yeah, right. Why is the first first commitment is to make money? (laughs) Yeah. Why is the first part of that whole thing bolded and then the rest of it isn't? Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's unbold 
our first commitment is to prepare our students for the practice of law. You know how Trump just acts, just like uh, arbitrarily capitalizes things and he'll yeah. put things in all caps or he'll just capitalize words arbitrarily. It's like, it almost seems like it's at random. That's yeah. kind of how this looks. This whole thing feels like total chaos. Helter skelter. Yeah. We have applied an application fee waiver to your account. We already mentioned that in all caps and now it's in bold. Yeah. Right. When you submit our application upon checkout, upon checkout, you will see a screen that says colon SRF waiver. No code is needed. Simply click through to the end to submit your application. Wow. Okay. Thank you for telling me what to expect. Please call us at the number listed below if you have any questions regarding redeeming your application fee waiver. Okay. Any questions yet again? Check us out on the web. <laughs> Check us out on the web. Bunch of links and stuff. Yeah, okay. Okay. Sorry. Wow. I mean, the, the point of Crystal's email was, holy shit, this is coming like five days before the start of school. Yeah. Asking, are people really this desperate? And the answer is apparently yes. <sighs> okay, well, run away from... I, I don't think anyone should ever apply to this law school, ever. Yeah, I mean, we, I guess, do we know what they're ranked... No, I'm I mean, scared, obviously though. it's best value law school because it's in fucking Mississippi and things are cheap down there because no one wants to live there. So, you know, like that doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that they're a, that they're a value. I mean, if you want to practice law in Mississippi, then I'm sure that this is like high on your radar. But like, if you just, if you want to squeak into a shitty law school and get ripped off, that's what this is about. Mm. So it's tied for a hundred and first. Position. Wow. So apply at the very last minute, pay full price, and just, you know. Hey, look, look, they are waiving wow. the fee application. So, true. So, yeah. <laughs> so you should definitely then um, go pay whatever. I mean, even, so it's probably the tuition's low, right? I'm guessing it's like 35000 Low uh, compared right. to yeah. other places. Yeah, low. It's th- you're, you're spot on. It's 35254 Holy shit. Wow. Price is right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So you could just easily go there and waste $100,000. Boom. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. If anybody's feeling lazy and you don't want to study for the LSAT, uh, you could just stop listening to the podcast now. Go apply to Mississippi School of Law and go there and get ripped off and probably never be a lawyer. That's that's great. When you Good do you. E- when you do email them, please use all caps. <laughs> yeah, they like that apparently. <laughs> wow. Right. All right, here we go. Next email. Subject: Explain why short emails are good? Question mark. Hey guys, could you explain why short emails are better? Most of us respond to like two or three emails per day, so bandwidth isn't really on our minds. It might be helpful. Just a thought. Best, Ross. I'm glad you kept this email itself short, Ross. Um, yeah. Why are short emails better? Let me just start by saying this. Shorter is better not just for emails, but for all writing. It's almost never the case that we wish things would have been longer. Um, what's that famous quote, right? I was just thinking about it. It's basically like, excuse the long note, excuse the long letter. I didn't have time to make it short. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly so what I'm Something like that. That's the I sentiment. can't remember who said that, but yeah, someone famous in the past. 
And you know what blows my mind too? Sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent, but in school, when they give you these writing assignments, you know, in college, and it's like, oh, make sure it's at least 2,000 words or something. I'm like, <laughs> that should never be the goal. The goal should no. just be write about this topic and do it as concisely as you can. If you can do it yeah, concisely, have a fucking well, point. Yeah. Right. So unfortunately, everybody's being taught the wrong method or goal. They're like, Absolutely. oh, I have to get to 2,000. So then they're making their sentences longer. And every time you cut a sentence, it's like, oh, no, now I have to write something else. Yeah. Um, a, bit of a, a bit of an analogy, right? Like you, I know people don't use voicemail these days, but so we're going to be betraying our age by talking about voicemail. What is but, that? <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you call somebody and you unexpectedly get their voicemail and you decide to leave them a message. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't planned ahead what you're going to say, yeah, you end up like with this long rambling thing of not getting to the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where if you had thought about it in advance, you would have realized, oh, I'm just going to lead with my question mm-hmm. and say, call me back or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's the point. And Ross's email demonstrates exactly why short emails are better because we read that email and we are instantly giving Ross what he wants, which is an answer to his fucking question. Yeah. If he had gone with some like unnecessary long-winded compliments and a lot of I just have a question that I wanted to ask you guys, you know, <laughs> shit like that, it's like, "Well, what's your question? Let's let's get on with it." Yeah. No, this is amazing. Hey guys, could you explain why short emails are better? You could have just stopped there actually. That would have been even better. But- <laughs> well, I do like the added fact here that most of us respond to like two or three emails per day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting. Cause yeah. I guess maybe if that's you that you don't really use email, um, Ben and I come from a generation where we use email a lot. We also come from a culture of lawyering where people use email a lot. And if you're going to, I mean, for, for kids these days who don't use email, you're about to, I mean, when you, <laughs> you're not going to practice law without using email all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, think about how long it took law firms to get rid of paper. I mean, they still use paper. Oh, and think about older attorneys who print out email. That's oh, what I'm saying. So God. like that's, yeah. we're still like three generations back in, in far as law firms. I mean, they're mm-hmm. still, they're like just starting to use email. Yeah. So that shit's not going away until probably the end of your career. If you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, you are going to be listening. You are going to be using email forever. And, uh, boy, attorneys just get like hundreds. You could be getting hundreds of emails per day. Yeah. And it's not totally without merit, right? Emails are preserved in a way that other communications such as texting and so forth are not. And that's good. Yeah. In the that's one reason. Right. Exactly. Think about what you're doing. You're creating like a legal record. Your, your, your communications with your client are covered by attorney client privilege. And when you put everything in emails, then you can, you've got that record back and forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, of course, then you need to keep in mind that there is a permanent record of that shit anytime you send it. <laughs> so want to be careful what you're writing. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, how many emails do you think you get every day, Ben? Oh, um, if I'm <laughs> at least 70. Yeah, I was going to say 100. Yeah. I mean, I think pretty comfortably I get 100. And I use, as I've mentioned on the show many times, I, I, I try to stay um, committed to the idea of inbox zero, which means that I empty out my email inbox all the way down to zero mm-hmm. um, regularly. Mm-hmm. I, I try to do it every day. Sometimes I, I don't quite get there, but I, I really don't keep items festering in my inbox. I, I narrow it all the way down to zero every day yeah. if I can. And uh, so, yeah, that means, hey, you want something, keep it short and sweet. You, you don't, 
you don't need to be this long ass rambling thing with your whole life story. Yeah. I can guarantee you if you don't want a response, write a really long email because yeah. it just becomes this thing where you're sort of like, Oh, I have to filter through this to figure out what so-and-so wants. And it's not necessarily the case that I don't want to help them. It's just, there's 101 things going on at any given moment. And now this is going to require dedicated focus and attention for the next 15 minutes, which sometimes we just can't give. Yeah. I had a student, um, I was doing, I don't usually do this, but I was doing a favor for a student who's a friend and she sent me a, um, diversity statement that was like three and a half pages long. Mm -hmm. And I just, I read the first paragraph and I scanned the rest of it. And I was just like, I'm not reading this. No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What, what are you doing? I get to your point. If you can't make your point in one page, then you can't make it in three and a half pages either. Mm -hmm. So just like, let's, let's keep it tight. Uh, You got to spend more time on it to, to narrow it down, to cut it down. That's the thing. You have to like respect your reader enough to spend the time to shorten yeah. it down to what you really want. Cause anybody can just barf out like stream of consciousness page after page after page. Mm-hmm. You're just not, it's just, you're not doing anything and you're, you know, disrespecting your reader when you do that. Yeah. So, um, Sarah right now is, uh, managing help at thinking Please do write into the show, right? Right. Right into the show. Help at thinking but think about Sarah's time when you do that. She's volunteering to go through these emails. And does it really help anything for you to give your entire life story <laughs> and, you know, exactly all these unnecessary details about what your GPA was at this point and then what your GPA was at this other point and then what your GPA was after that? Yeah. I don't know. Like, just a long list of every single LSAT practice test score you've ever <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's so common that I, it must just be the way we are. I mean, I think I've caught myself doing that too, when I'm going into other domains that I'm not as familiar with and I'm talking to experts and I'm like, Oh, well, but I had this, <laughs> I had this for breakfast. And then I had, it's yeah. like, it doesn't really matter. Just, um, listen and maybe ask your question and you'll get an answer right away. And then you can worry about all those other details to yourself and you realize that they're not that important. Yeah. Shorter emails are certainly going to get bumped up to the top of the agenda. <laughs> I w- I've got to, I've got to think yeah. that uh, Sarah is going to be able to look at that and just go, yep. Okay. This is going to the top. So, and that's what happened. That's exactly what happened with Ross's email. Mm-hmm. It got bumped to the top of the list because it was something we wanted to talk about and uh, it was useful. Bang. There you go. All right. Next one. Yeah. Hey, Ben, I hope that you're doing well. I wanted to first say thank you for all of your help over the past year. When I started your course in September 2017, I got a 150 on my first practice LSAT. I'm happy to report that I scored a 169 on the July 2018 test. It was a long road, but I feel as though your curriculum made the process manageable and even fun. Wow, thanks. This is from Will. Um, That's great to hear, hear, Will. That's really exciting. Uh, This brings me to my question. Should I take the LSAT again? My practice test scores range was 167 to 172, so I scored right in the middle. I think that if I take the test again, I'll be less nervous and more focused than I was the first time around. That being said, I'm worried that if I score lower, I'll undermine my standing with law schools. Do you have any thoughts? Feel free to use this on the podcast if you think it's relevant. Thanks for your help, Will. Nathan? 
Well, I mean, Anne just said that law schools are really only looking at your highest score. Yeah. Um, if half of your range is above 169 and half your range is below 169, um, it doesn't seem like you're going to score significantly lower. So yeah. if you score to 167, I think they're going to still consider you a 169. Mm-hmm. But if you score 172, they're going to now consider you a 172. Yep. So this looks like all upside and very little downside to me. Yeah. Uh, the only downside, Will, is that you wrote it's without an apostrophe. Oh! <laughs> um, but that's always one that people get mixed up. Without an apostrophe is possessive, with a apostrophe is not possessive. It it means it is. Yeah. Also, that is the kind of thing that gets caught by the uh, autocorrect here in Google Docs. Yeah. Or it's at least flagged. Yeah. So. All right, interesting. Will, yeah, way to go. Congrats. Take it again. Yeah, congrats on the 169, but absolutely. I mean, you probably will be less nervous, and there's no reason why your skills should not increase between now and the next time you take it. So, sure, take it again. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, this is pretty long. Um, Subject, personal statement or online course? Hi, Ben and Nathan. For the sake of being brief, I'm just going to jump right in. CPS below for praise of the show. <laughs> You're laughing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of being brief, I'm going to write this sentence. <laughs> yeah. For the sake of being brief, I'm going to not do what I'm doing right now, which is pre prelog. pre-log. Um, yeah. Okay. Facts, numbers. <clears throat> July LSAT score, 159. Average of last five PTs, 161. Undergraduate GPA, 3.1. Undergraduate degree is a BS in biology. Yes, it was difficult. I was working, blah, blah, blah. I am a biochemist for a medical device startup. My best section is games, usually between minus four and perfect. Worst section is reading comp, average of minus 10. Questions. One. I plan to apply to schools with my July LSAT score this September. However, I want to take the November LSAT to improve my score by a few more points. Um, that's dangerous. Uh, I can't take it in September because my best friend is getting married on that test date. Assuming I get a higher score, I will use my updated LSAT score to negotiate scholarship offers. Thoughts on this? Is this a good strategy or should I wait to get my November score and apply later in the cycle? So, The thing about that is that if you do this, many schools are just going to hold your application anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you're registered for the November LSAT and you apply many schools, I mean, that's a good question for Anne. We should have asked her Mm. how many schools are going to do that. Yeah. Um, But I think many slash maybe most schools are going to say, hey, we see on your LSAC account that you're registered to take the test again. So we're just going to put your application in a pile over here and not actually evaluate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe this is a non-issue. If you if you are going to take the November test, then it doesn't really matter if you apply early or if you wait until you get your November score. Yeah, plus between now and November, between August and November, if you keep studying, I don't see why you couldn't get several more points uh, higher on your LSAT. So I would just say wait and hit it out of the park. Yeah. Because your average of your PTs is already higher than your 159. Mm-hmm. I mean, with a 3.1 and a 159, you basically shouldn't go to law school. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I, I would say probably just, yeah, don't apply with that, with that profile. 
I'm not excited about a candidate who has a 3.1 and a 159. Like I just that 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 looks like you're you're going to have a hard time. So you really have to be dedicated to what you're getting into and working locally. Yeah, and and that's not the best you can do on the LSAT. So just do better on the LSAT and then let's talk about your application. Yeah, I agree. Um, question two, based on my current finances, I can afford to purchase one of the services you provide. Do you think my money would be better spent on one of your online courses to essentially guarantee a better LSAT score? Mm. <laughs> essentially guarantee. <laughs> um okay there is no actual guarantee but if you're going to call it an essential guarantee that basically means nothing so sure it's essentially a guarantee um or should i hire the both of you to help with my personal statement this is a and then this is a no-brainer oh sorry go ahead yeah 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 so go ahead why is it a no-brainer uh your lsat score is going to do so much more for your application than your personal statement Yep. There are schools that are going to just not even give a shit what your personal statement says if you don't get higher than a 159. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty clearly indicated by the very tight LSAT ranges. If you look at the 75th and 25th percentile LSAT for many schools, most schools, every school (laughs) has a very narrow 25th to 75th percentile LSAT range. Mm -hmm. So that's like half of their class is just focused in this one area of LSAT scores and the rest of the range is not like significantly outside of that. Yeah. I mean, they would love to have people higher than that. They just don't get them because the, those students get better offers and they do admit people with lower than the 25th percentile, but those people are paying full price and that's a really bad plan. Yeah. So LSAT score is going to determine really how closely they're even looking at your personal statement. And it's also going to determine how much you pay to go to school. So yeah, clearly take, take an online class, get a better LSAT score. You can do the personal statement by yourself. Yeah. Okay. Email update. Does Ben's or Nathan's course focus more on reading comp? I have no idea. I, I don't know either. I, I know I've been doing reading comp a lot more lately than I used to. I, I used to just not have that much to say about it. So I just wouldn't even cover it hardly that much. Mm-hmm. Um, these days I've been recording mostly because of the demon. I've been recording lots of new uh, reading comprehension content. Yeah. Just uh, so that goes into my online class, but then uh, we're also dumping all the stuff into the demon these days. So, or as much of it as we can. Yeah. So um, by the way, that's lshatdemon.com. Go sign up. Yeah. That's probably your best bet. And then just do all the, reading comp practices. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I self-studied for 2.5 months using the power score Bibles and two of Nathan's books. That's my logical reasoning encyclopedia and my logic games playbook. I think I could improve my score on my own, but continuing the regime of 135, uh, sorry, by continuing the regime of 135 minute section per day, be that as it may, I believe taking a course will bring my range of scores higher than self-studying. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's professional help. Is yep. that going to be helpful? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, after hearing you rip apart everyone's personal statements on the podcast, I have very little confidence in my writing ability. Needless to say, I think having your help in this area would bring my application to a more respectable level. Yeah, but your your LSAT right now is not respectable enough that your personal statement really matters. Yep. I mean, it does matter. And I'm sure Anne would take the other side of that. Like she would show you outliers who got into some 
fabulous school without the grade of an LSAT score because they had such an awesome personal statement. But, you know, those outliers are like, that's the hard way. That's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. The easy way is to just get a better LSAT score. Uh, And that's also for scholarships. I mean, which is just all important. Location and school is not terribly important to me. I just don't want to pay for it. Oh, okay. Well, clearly get a better LSAT score. I apologize for writing so much. I know you guys hate that. (laughs) Best, Jen. Uh, Thank you for the compliments in the PS, but we don't need to read that. Thank you. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Go. Subject. Question for the show. First things first. I feel bad because it seems like all of the emails are addressed to Nathan. So this one is to Ben. I also feel like to use my name on the show. Feel free to use my name on the show, Ethan. Um, you know okay. why that happens? It's because yeah, it's because I'm so like friendly and fuzzy and soft, <laughs> and you're like all hard edged. Yeah, that's why people find me more approachable. They're they're afraid to write mm-hmm. me. That's mm-hmm. that's understandable. Thanks, Ethan, for overcoming that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, second things second. Second things second. I've never heard that before. He started with first things first. Yeah. Then he went second things second. Yeah, second things second. Thank you so much for all of this free content you guys put out. You and Nathan allowed a broke college student like myself to self-study effectively and potentially change the trajectory of my life. Following your sage wisdom, I was able to crack a 175 on the July LSAT using Nathan's books and your lovely guidance on your free class, Ben. Wow, 175. That's impressive. Um, my question for writing in is about paying for law school. This is about the part where Nathan normally says, I'm not reading anymore. Just do not pay for law school. But Ben seems to be a little more open-minded on topics such as his, such is his libertarian nature. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What? (laughs) Um, I have a 3.85 GPA and my 175 on record. Okay. Those numbers are extraordinarily awesome. You're going to do well. After law school, I want to federally clerk, and my dream is to clerk for the Supreme Court and one day be on the Supreme Court. I am a conservative from the middle of nowhere in Missouri, so with the recent upticks in conservative federal judges due to a Republican presidency, um, the avenue for conservatives is to federally clerk is actually much easier than it is for liberal their liberal counterparts. Additionally, HLS... Harvard Law School and Yale Law School do not exactly churn out large numbers of conservatives. Okay. As you as I'm sure you are aware, all of the Supreme Court justices attended either Harvard or Yale. Okay. Um and ninety percent of the SCOTUS clerks, that's Supreme Court of the United States, um clerks attended Harvard or Yale. Neither of these schools is known for shelling out the dough, and with this path being the path I would like to take, is paying for law school the only option to achieve this goal a viable option for me? I don't have rich parents, but they paid for my undergrad, so I'm not currently riddled with debt and have a large a large ego that needs validation through shiny degree. A shiny degree. In the in the one fiftieth episodes I have listened to of this show, I don't think this question has been answered. Can this be a workaround to the rule? Okay, so you want to go to Harvard or Yale? You're afraid that they're not going to give you any money. Is it worth it, given your goals? Uh, I mean, I think that if that's the only thing you want to do, then maybe you should go there. But you also have to keep in mind that your chances of success are very low. That said, um, not because 
you I think you're not going to be successful or something, but it's just very hard to clerk. I don't know anything about the percentage of clerks that come out of Yale. Like what percentage of people who graduate Yale actually end up becoming clerks? That would be an interesting number to know. Then you'd know your likelihood of success and the cost to to pay for that. They do publish um NALP has data on um federal clerkships. Yeah. So that's not Supreme Court clerkships, that's federal clerkships. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean if if you want to clerk on the Supreme Court, federal clerkship or Supreme Court to clerk there, yeah, I mean you it's that's a that's a reasonable goal um to if you go to Harvard, Stanford, Yale. Mhm. Um, I, I think that's achievable. I, I would guess that it's something like, you know, a third of a class or something like that. Not, not on the Supreme court, but like high federal courts or, or, uh, or the Supreme court. Yeah. It's cer- certainly possible. Um, as far as like, I want to become a Supreme court justice. That is, <laughs> that's dependent entirely on the luck of the world. Really? Well, it, it would be easier to like play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, there vastly more people have played in the NBA than have been on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Right. It, it would be what you're saying is, I mean, it's much easier to be a senator. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is still <laughs> the an House, exclusive club. <laughs> the House of Representatives is super easy yeah. compared to, you know, I mean, it would be easier to be a governor of a state yep. than it would be to be on the Supreme Court. Yep. So you have to think about what you're like that's that's nice to have high goals, but is it worth certainly paying one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for this fantasy of being a Supreme Court justice? Yeah, well, because it's so- almost easier to. <laughs> well, what's the how many total Supreme Court justices have there been? Oh, I don't know, but not very many. I mean, they they stay on there for a long time. And I was going to say, because they're lifetime appointed, I mean, it's like maybe a hundred or something like that. Yeah. Total. Cause I was going to compare it to the number of presidents of the United States. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, there's probably fewer presidents of the United States, but we are talking about it's, it's like in the same breath. I almost feel like you have more control over or becoming president of the United States than you do <laughs> becoming a Supreme court justice, because you can work your ass off and become the best justice in the country, but your your selection is going to depend on the politics of the moment. You don't have to be good at law or being a justice to be chosen. You have to have the right views and the right optics, which is, yeah. I think, more out of your control than running for president. Running for president, you're like trying to control your optics and everything. I don't know. Totally. I, I also like notice the shortcut here between... I want to be a clerk on the Supreme court and then one day be on the Supreme court. <laughs> well, it's like, there are quite a few steps in between those two things. Cause I mean, how many clerks are there on the Supreme court? So many clerks on the Supreme court. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Every justice has clerks who come in for what? Two years. Sure. Yeah. And then they're gone. one or two years, something like that. And, and they, some, they justices have an option. How many clerks they hire. Yeah. So a clerk, a justice might have 15 clerks for a year or two. Now, I mean, it is prestigious. Don't get me wrong, but there's like thousands of those clerks. Mm -hmm. 
tens of thousands potentially of those clerks because they're continually rotating through. Yeah. And there's very, very few, you know, a hundred or a couple hundred Supreme court justices. So you're, you know, the path is to become a badass lawyer. That's the part you're missing here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you want to talk about justice Ginsburg. Yeah. I mean, she was a badass civil rights lawyer who then became a judge, federal judge, circuit judge, who then made it to the Supreme Court. <laughs> There's a couple really important steps in between clerking on the Supreme Court and actually being on the Supreme Court. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. P.S. I live in Manhattan and may just show up to your pre-August NYC class bar hopping. Uh, that'd be great. That's on Friday, August 23rd. If anyone else is in New York or willing to come to New York, please join us. We'll probably gather yeah. around like nine or something. Uh, yeah. Somewhere. And we'll post that out on the, we'll make another drinking else at event and, uh, and put that on the thinking else at podcast group on Facebook. We'll announce yep. what we're going to do there. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's cool. Yeah. Thanks Ethan. We can, we can chat more about it in New York if you, uh, if you come meet us, I mean, my gut is saying, (laughs) because really, if you, again, I just have to make the other side of this argument, you get into Harvard, Stanford, Yale, you are also going to get into Columbia, NYU, bunch of other great law schools with probably a full ride. And it's the certainty of not paying $150,000 for your JD. Mm Mm-hmm compared to the certainty of actually paying $150,000 for your JD. Yeah. So you have to, you have to like discount (laughs) the chance of achieving these very lofty dreams. You have to sort of, you know, balance that out again. What are, what are your percentage chances of making it on the Supreme court? Mm -hmm. And what's that worth to you? I mean, it might be just worth infinity to you. And if it is, if it's worth, you know, literally everything, then Hey, go for it. I suppose. But the chances of becoming a Supreme Court justice, <laughs> one in, of all law school applicants right now, mm-hmm. of everyone who's hearing this right now, how many of them are ever going to be a Supreme Court justice? Yeah, one, right? <laughs> right. One person who ever hears this. Yeah. So if you that. might be that one, but yeah, very likely zero. <laughs> expected value somewhere between zero and one. (laughs) But I think, I think the, the federal clerkship goal is reasonable and I would take a look at the numbers and just, and based on the numbers, you can figure out your likelihood of achieving that goal based on which school you go to. And, but then it just, then, then it becomes, is it really worth Harvard, Stanford, Yale, just because it's going to give you a better chance of a federal clerkship. Yeah. Look at your chances for other clerkship opportunities at other schools and well, then say, Hey, other schools do have federal clerkships. Yep. They do. So, I mean, and, and Ethan, I think is, well, currently Ethan is correctly, uh, excited about the possibility because he is a conservative. He is, he's correct that the current administration is appointing a lot of conservative judges, which are going to be picking conservative, um, clerks. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there are opportunities, but, uh, I just don't know that Harvard and Yale is, (laughs) 
necessary in order to do that. Well, here's, here's the real number that I would focus in on. What I would do is I would look at a school that's going to offer you a full ride, get a school that does offer you a full ride, look at the chances of becoming a federal clerk at that school, then look at the chances of becoming a federal clerk at Harvard, Yale, or Stanford, uh, and then you have a difference, right? Let's say it's 35% versus 20%. Well, yeah. okay, is $150,000 the price you want to pay for 15% chance increase, or do you just want to hustle more when you're yeah. at and the other school? Right, to, yeah, exactly. You have to figure out what it's worth to you, that federal clerkship. You know, Is it worth a million dollars? Well, then you have to discount $150,000 by the 15% increased chance that it gives you. Mm-hmm. Right, so you divide one hundred fifty thousand dollars by fifteen percent, and you end up looking at what? Quick math, uh, six. That's a very close call. <laughs> that's if it's that's if there's a fifteen percent difference at a something that you value at one million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So is it worth a million dollars? I don't know about that. Yeah. Actually, you can figure out its worth by looking at the pay increase for those who have a clerkship versus those who don't at big law. Right. Or yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, and law professors and stuff, right? Because that is where law professors come from. Yeah. Um, then you also have to, though, factor in that you will probably be better equipped to compete for grades if you're at a school on a scholarship. Sure. So if there's a X percent chance of a clerkship at one school and a Y percent chance of a clerkship at another school, you might be there's a it might be easier to get into the Y percent at an easier school. Yeah. Your chances are lower at that school, but higher because you're in the more competitive the competition. Group. Yeah. is not. Yeah. All right. Just do the multivariate calculus and get back to us. That's all. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, just don't pay for law school. And don't pay for law school. <laughs> all right. So Ethan's boldly continues here. Would love to meet you guys. Also, Ben, how's the dating market? I have some friends who I could set you up with when you're in town. Exclamation point. First drink is on me. Ethan, I appreciate your um, concern. Um, I'm already dating someone, so we're good. (laughs) (laughs) That was fast. That was a fast update. That was like two episodes ago. (laughs) It's your hot commodity, Ben. Apparently. (laughs) That's excellent. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, Okay. Do you want to read this email, Ben? I don't know. What? Oh. Maybe... Maybe not. Yeah, I, I don't like it. I'm, I'm out. Okay, next one. Uh, I am a 35-year-old RN. I graduated college when I was 32. Basically, the first 28 years of my life were wasted on bad habits and bad decisions, including, but not limited to, drug addiction and a criminal record. Ooh. I'm not really worried about those things anymore. They didn't stop me from getting a nursing license, so they probably won't stop me from being an attorney. I have two teenage daughters who are 18 and 13 and fairly independent. Um, hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know what I have thoughts. Okay. Go for it. Well, one, you need to call your state bar and disclose to them all of your shit mm-hmm. because it is possible that your criminal record would not keep you from being an RN, but it is possible that your criminal record will keep you from being an attorney. Yeah. Which is actually ironic because I think (laughs) RNs have more access to damaging substances than uh, attorneys do. And attorneys are not known for their 
uprightness, but we sure like to talk the talk and to yeah. pretend that we enforce rules of morality yeah. so strictly well, to protect the f- profession. Nurses have some responsibility over life and death. Um, lawyers also have responsibility in some cases over life and death and like very, very serious financial matters and just all sorts of stuff. Right. I mean, (laughs) if you wanted to be a crook, being a lawyer would be a great first step. Sure. Yeah. I'm just thinking about all, I don't know, access to medications and stuff. Yeah. 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 No, of course. Of course. Nurses have like hospitals, drugs, and like you could kill somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. of course. Um, but a lawyer, you could uh, just really ruin somebody's life and steal everything they own. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you're talking about criminal law, then it actually is matters of life and death as well. So that's just, yeah, they, they take ethics stuff and criminal record stuff very seriously. And it's possible that if you have like a felony, I, I don't know, I think it varies state by state, but you're going to have to call your state bar. That's step one here is call your state bar, disclose everything and find out whether they are going to admit you or not if you pass uh, if you pass the bar exam. Yeah, because it's possible that your criminal record might actually keep you from even being admitted to to, to sit for the bar. So you're going to have to figure that out. We don't we don't know. Um, as far as <laughs> without even reading the rest of the email, <laughs> RN is a great career. Yeah, and. You have kids, you have a family, you have an awesome career already. I don't know why you would be, I, I mean, boy, when I hear somebody saying I'm an RN and I want to become a nurse I'm, or I want to become a, um, a lawyer, I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, why? Yeah. <laughs> why would you abandon such an in-demand, high-paying, flexible career mm-hmm. for a oversaturated, super stressful, boring <laughs> unbelievably competitive. Yeah. Not potentially that lucrative. I, I, you, I think there would be many RNs who are going to be taking a big pay cut for their first lawyer job. Mm-hmm. So that's potentially what you're getting yourself into. Let's, let's read the rest of this. Um, I am finally at a stable place to pursue some meaning and purpose in my life, which for me is law school. I don't like nursing. I'm not changing people's lives. I'm not making a difference. Most of what I do is spend hours a night on the computer fabricating my charting and saying I did and said arbitrary yet required by law things that I didn't really do because I didn't have time to give all the care I should have because I had to spend all the time telling the electronic medical record that I did all these bullshit things. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. A little insight maybe into nursing. <laughs> get a different different nursing job, maybe. Yeah. You're at the wrong hospital, maybe. Hopefully yeah. that's not universal. Yeah. It's not fulfilling. It's draining, and I hate it. I can't do it for the rest of my life. If I really want to help my patients, I know I can do it by advocating for laws regarding nurse-to-patient ratios. Uh, that's not a job. Yeah. That's just not, that's a fantasy. That's not a job. Who, who's paying you to advocate for laws regarding nurse to patient ratios? I, you'd have to be working for some sort of trade organization and they would have to have this as their interest and they'd pay you or, to yeah. go lobby for that. And you wouldn't need to be an attorney to do that. You don't have to be an attorney to be a lobbyist anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's bogus. Um, or taking hospitals to court and ripping them to shreds for allowing a patient to stroke out for 12 hours before intervening. Okay. So, you know, that's a real job, like being a plaintiff's attorney is a real job. Sure. 
if that's what you're going to do, then that's, that's different. But this fantasy about like advocacy, uh, just show me what that show, show me who's going to hire you to do that work. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am also very all caps passionate about prisoner rights and advocacy, especially for the mentally ill and addicted. Hmm. This just sounds like all over the place. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, I, I get it. You know, you, you, <laughs> these people need help. Yeah, sure. I just don't know that law school is the way to go do this work. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, again, who is going to pay you to advocate on behalf of prisoners? You need to get donations from people who are just as passionate. And that is a very low paying job. You're working as a pro bono attorney, basically. Who's going to pay you to advocate for the mentally ill and addicted? Same, same deal. You know, these are just not job titles. Yeah. Law is what I want to do with my life and nothing else will do. Hmm. Okay. I mean, if you say so, I, you know, there is patient, like plaintiffs firms really do exist. And so, yeah, that sounds like your best route to a, an actual career mm-hmm. on your recent podcast. You said that you can't work during law school. I worked and was the sole provider for two children through nursing school, which is a living hell and got a 3.9 GPA. I have made arrangements at my job to work three 13-hour shifts Friday night through Sunday night, which would allow me to attend classes full-time during the day. I realize there's more to it than class time. I would have every weekday after and between classes to do schoolwork and 1.5 hours of break time during each work night also. Uh, We're not saying you can't work during law school because we don't want you to. We're saying you can't work during law school because it's an ABA requirement. Unless yeah, you go part time, underst- right? My understanding is that if you're full time in law school, the ABA requires you not to work during your one L year, or at least there's an hour limit where you can only work like 15 hours a week or something like that. Yeah, during law school. So again, that that's some that's a question for the American Bar Association and for whatever law school you're interested in. Uh, I would just stop here too, and I don't mean to be rude, but you have a lot of typos in this email formatting errors you're you're saying that law is what you want to do and nothing else will do but you're you're walking into a profession that's going to require you to be a a much better writer so that's not that's something you can improve that's that's something anyone can work on and get better at but uh, this is not like a natural skill set for you just saying yeah it it, to me it i i I just it looks like just not edited it looks like um, fired off in the heat of passion. Maybe so, yeah. And and like if if this is because this, if this is like a first draft, then it's it's fine. You know, I mean, it could be cleaned up. But yeah, I agree with you. There's there's tons of typos and stuff. So if this is the best you could do, then that's you're you've got problems. Um, my questions are these: one, is it possible to work full time through law school? Not easy, not advisable, but possible. Uh, that's a question for the ABA. If the, if it's allowable, then of course it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's allowed for full time, but I do think it is, uh, for part-time law school. Yeah. I, so for sure. So it, she, um, definitely needs to be thinking about part-time. Yep. 
how many hours a week outside of class is required to do well and succeed? Uh, that's, I would say an hour for every hour in class at a minimum. Yeah. Also, I would say it depends. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it depends how smart you are. It depends what school you go to. It depends how strong of a candidate you are compared to everyone else you're going to school with. Yeah. It depends how well you do on exams. And by the way, that hour to hour ratio could swing up to three hours for every hour in class. So it's quite a range depending on your ability to read and process old cases. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine less than one hour per hour. No. Yeah. Probably closer to three than one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're going full time, like full time law school is like 15 hours of class mm-hmm. plus another two or three hours per hour. <laughs> so 30 to 45 more hours Yeah. on top of that. So then you end up with a 45 to 60 hour a week gig. Yep. If you're going full time three, assuming I get a significant or full scholarship, it is impossible for me to go to law school otherwise. So my LSAT score needs some real work at this point. Is it better for me to do a part-time program to alleviate work school conflict or should I just get it done ASAP? Absolutely. Part-time. Yep. No brainer. I know this is long and you don't appreciate excessive wording, but I wanted you to understand that I'm not some wide eyed kid who has never experienced the brutality of real life, nor is this a decision I have entered into lightly because I think I'm going to become some hotshot and drive a Maserati. This is what is in my heart to do, but I'm worried about my ability to bring it to fruition given my limited time and resources. Thanks for your time. Regards. Please don't use my name. I don't know. I mean, the fact that you're saying this isn't, this is what is in my heart is kind of what makes me feel like there's some wide eyed kid in here still. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why you're going to school exactly, except for maybe to, yeah, like you said, become a plaintiff's attorney. That might be your one realistic option. And do you really know what that entails? Have you talked to anyone who's a plaintiff's attorney or are you going to end up in the same situation where you're writing um, arguments or crafting verbal arguments on behalf of others that you absolutely hate because you feel like they're fa- fake or bullshit, as you said. Um, I just hope that you're not getting into this because of what you perceive to be getting into rather than what you're actually getting into. It's very difficult to make money as a crusader. If you're, if you're trying to change the world, you want you, cause you want to, you know, you, you have these ideals. I, I would maybe make money in your current career and then volunteer your time to these causes. Yeah. You can do this advocacy mm-hmm. as a volunteer. There, there are plenty of things, plenty of ways you can help all of these people. You want to help prisoners. You can help prisoners. You want to help addicts. You can help addicts. You want to help homeless people, sick people. There's tons of things you can do. I don't really see how I don't see the necessity here of a JD. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the continuing to say, this is in my heart, there's nothing else will do, et cetera. It, it's, it's like, it, I don't, I'm not, yeah, I don't know that you know what you're actually getting yourself into. I don't think you're a wide eyed kid, but like the fact that you're not happy with your current gig is 0% evidence that you should be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is, I'm um, that one, that, <laughs> that one, thank you very much for writing in. That one makes me quite concerned. Mm-hmm. I, my gut is saying 
run away from law school. Yeah. And for sure, don't pay for it, no matter what. I mean, so <laughs> the you know the LSAT will be a nice first step, right? Because mm-hmm. if she crushes the LSAT, then that's going to give her that's going to give her options. But if the LSAT ends up being a real grind, then it's going to be pretty clearly just not a great fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next one. Yeah, I can do one more. Okay, gentlemen. I decided to support your podcast as it is an integral part of my studies. I drive oversized rigs for a living, but my back is about fried. I can't always get a lot of book work in after twelve to fourteen hour after a twelve to fourteen hour workday, but I can listen while I drive and I take the LSAT Max self paced course on my slow days. I have no idea what that is. Um I'm just trying to get up to a nice reasonable 160 so I can ride so I can get a full ride to either the University of Montana or Concordia in Boise, Idaho. That's one of the ones that's giving the guaranteed full ride. Got it. We we mentioned that on a previous episode. Hey, just because those places guarantee that you'll get a full ride doesn't mean that other places won't uh, give you a full ride either. So you should apply to multiple places if you can get above 160 yeah please email help at thinking if you find any of these other guaranteed full ride offers we would love to um put shout outs for those schools onto the show um the point is not to try to get you to actually go to any of those schools the point is to put you in a better negotiating position so that you will realize that you do not need to participate in this scam yeah i feel like i should be able to get 50 percent time accommodations for a well-documented back problem. Okay. I currently got about uh, enough cash to get moved wherever I need to be and give myself a hundred dollars a week stipend for three years of school, as well as a pledge from my family to cover rent. If I can get a full ride, I'm in, I'm interested in either public defender work or legal aid. So coming out with a little to no debt is a big deal, right? So, Deacon, what is your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, uh, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I pledge the $5 level. Thank you. Oh, on Patreon. Thank yeah. you very much, Deacon, for being a patron. We appreciate it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. And I was wondering if instead of a reply, you could check out my podcast and give it a shout out. I run the Supreme Court Decision Syllabus Podcast, which is simply a reading of all the opinion syllabi verbatim and usually take one take, and usually one take, okay? But I do occasionally chop out sections where I slaughter a pronunciation, okay? Sound quality is moderate to good for being recorded on top of a 16-liter diesel, especially made to pull 200 thousand pounds or more i have a 300 dollars mic that i throw in the back of my felt cowboy hat to isolate background noise (laughs) (laughs) amazing yeah okay so if you're interested in supreme court decisions or decision syllabi those are the introductions to supreme court decisions uh check out this podcast by deacon i figure if people preparing for law school don't like my podcast for any non-technical reasons they might not actually want to go to law school um there might be some truth to that i mean the supreme court does focus on sort of esoteric things so i don't know it's hard to say um but yeah if you are interested in the supreme court though check it out all the best deacon yeah, Supreme Court Decision Syllabus Podcast. Uh, 
That is something that I have 0% interest in. Um, <laughs> again, I am not actually interested in being a lawyer. So yeah. I will not be listening to this, uh, Deacon, but I wish you the best of luck with the show. It is amazing that you are recording it uh, while driving down the road Wait, in a 200,000-pound that... diesel. He's not recording while he's driving, is he? Yes, that's what he's saying. Sound quality is moderate to good for being recorded on top of a 16-liter diesel specially made to pull $200,000 plus. For some reason, I kind of imagined him (laughs) stopping. No, if he was just in the cab with his $300 mic, it would have no background noise at all. He's actually recording this as he's cruising down the road. For some reason, my mind just couldn't get wrapped around that idea. All right, great. So here is a, a live two things at once. Deacon can do two things at once. Wait a second, but that means he's reading? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe I need to read. But why is he throwing this mic in the back of his felt cowboy hat know. to isolate the background noise if he's not doing it when he's driving down the road? You could stop anywhere in mid-country and there's nothing around except uh, crickets, right? So I think he's doing it as he's driving. I, I don't know. We'd have to listen to it to see what it sounds like. Can, but please I, stay alive. <laughs> That's more yeah. important. Yeah, and don't run over me when I'm out there on my motorcycle. Oh, my God. All right. Um, Okay, cool. So that's the Supreme Court Decision Syllabus podcast. Uh, Anybody who's interested in uh, law school might be interested in that. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Okay. Um, Last chance to sign up for the Thinking LSAT live class in New York City. On August 25, 26, go to com to register for that. Go to lsatdemon.com to sign up for our new AI LSAT learning platform. We are super excited about that. So uh, we look forward to getting your feedback on that product. Um, and I think that that is it for today. So that was show 154. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.